0: So we are in the book of Titus. We're in week two of this series, which is going through the book of Titus. We're going to be in uh, verses five through nine today. So if you want to find Titus, uh, it's in the New Testament, close to the end, then work your way towards there and we'll read in a, bit, in a minute. Um, <clears throat> when I was younger, you're going to see this text about order, but when I was younger, I had absolutely no appreciation for order at all. Uh, if you looked at my, my bedroom or my locker at school or anything, you would have seen exactly that. And I've learned over the years that many people believe they don't like order because it feels restrictive in our lives. It's, and really, we, we kind of just want to do whatever it is we want to do. Uh, in fact, that's the reason you never ever see anyone with uh, a tattoo of 1 Corinthians 1440 on it. If you don't know what it says, it says all things should be done decently and in order. It would make an amazing tattoo down your arm and yet I've never ever seen it and don't expect I ever will. Uh, don't prove me wrong. And yet, have you ever wondered what would happen if we just took order out of the world? You know, you know, without order, our, our planets and our, our solar system would, would collide or just fly off into the universe and, and, and be gone. Or if you, you took the bones out of our bodies that give us structure and, and order, you know, we'd, we'd be on a planet with 7 billion people who look like Jabba the Hutt. You wouldn't want the guy building your house to, to do so without using blueprints or some sort of instructions or uh, Home Depot you know every time you walk in there and you think it's so hard to find things in here can you imagine if you walked in the Home Depot to get a a three-quarters inch wrench and I honestly have no idea what that is but uh, you walk in there only to find piles of stuff everywhere and instead of the aisles of, of categorized items see there's a, a a reason that order is helpful and it is helpful in every area of life, and especially the church. And what we see in this text we're going to read today is that God has, has not left the church without instructions for, for order, for how to set things in order. And if we're as, we as a church are going to be true to our commitment that we're going to be people of the word, of God's word, then this is the model of church leadership that we need to follow. Uh, and so let's read the passage, and then we can unpack it together. So let's begin. Titus Chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, Or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain but hospitable a lover of good self controlled upright holy and disciplined he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it the grass withers and the flower fades let's pray Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we haven't been left without direction in life or faith or even in how your church should be organized uh, and how your people should be cared for. We ask that you would give us a desire to be under authority for the sake of our own good. We ask that you would raise up elders in this congregation for the care of this congregation. We ask that you would make our our current leadership humble and caring and patient and gracious. Um, Lord, we. We pray and and we ask that uh, we might learn from your holy word today and be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, before we start, I'll I'll tell you right off the bat that this is a weird text because it is about organization. and, And I really have this concern that you may be particularly tempted to just zone out today. Um, Because I know that when I'm listening to instructions and I I hear something that doesn't pertain to me in particularly, I I tend to just kind of zone out and think, well, I'll get back in this as soon as it comes back around to to me. Um, You know, if I'm at a conference and the guy up front is saying something like, you know, important info uh, for those of you that drove your car here today. And and I think that I I hear this and, and, you know, afterwards I realize, you know, know, I didn't drive my car. And and so then everything I hear after that point is just him going blah, 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 blah. Uh, And I don't want you to to hear that today, right? So uh, I don't want you to hear this is about elders and then to think to yourself, I am not an elder. I don't desire to be an elder. I don't think I can be an elder. Uh, And then for me to later on be cleaning up the sanctuary and to find your sermon notes and just see blah, 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 blah. And again, don't prove me wrong. I don't want to find those. So let me begin by reminding you why this is important for you. And then we'll unpack the text a little bit. You know, uh, first of all, we, what we learn here is good for you. It is good for you in regards to leadership in any capacity, anywhere. In your campus group, uh, leading a men's or women's Bible study, a, a Sunday school class, if you're in the Greek system, leadership at home, uh, your home, wherever it might be. And, and, and second, this will teach you why your church has elders, why we have them. Uh, what they do for you, why that's healthy for us, and and what expectations you should have for elders. Third, knowing how God in his word has instructed his church to be led will help you when you are looking for a church home. Many of you are only here for a few years at a time, and and we know that, and we know you're going to be going to another city, you're going to be looking for a new church home, and we want to give you wisdom for selecting that next church home. Uh, And finally, this will help you know how to pray for your elders. Because we very, very much need your prayer for endurance, um, to live upright lives like we see we're called to, and to care for the congregation. We need your prayer, and I think sometimes it's easy to forget that. So then, let's just jump right in here. Verse 5. This is Paul. He is writing... Uh, to a younger man named Titus, whom he has met on his missionary journey. Uh, And Paul has left Titus on Crete, Crete's an island south of Greece. And for whatever reason, he left him there. Uh, In fact, he gives us the reason here. He says the goal of leaving Titus there was to organize new churches, to put things in order. You remember uh, the gospel has been preached. People have believed the gospel uh, and, and they've been redeemed. But we know that the Christian life doesn't end there, right? You don't believe the gospel and like, well, that's done. Carry on with everything else. Uh, No, people are are, are needing to grow. They're needing to grow in their knowledge of God. They're needing to grow in their godliness in their lives, um, to gather and to worship together, to participate in the sacraments, to be cared for. Uh, And so order was needed for this to happen. And what do we see here as the very first step, he says, for putting the church in order? Titus is to appoint elders... In every town, uh, appoint elders. Laura and I were, were talking to a guy who was planning a church, where they decided they won't have elders. And we started asking them about leadership. You know, well, who are the leaders? And his answer was, well, whoever's leading is the leader. That sounds awesome, right? Um, what do you mean by that, though? Uh, and he said, you know, if they're bringing people to church, then people are following them to church, and therefore they are a leader. And What if they stop bringing people to church? Well, then they're no longer leaders. And and I wanted to ask you, so so Hitler, he would have been quite the leader in your church, huh? I didn't. I have some tact. Um, But kind of that idea of just because someone follows you, like, I get it. In one theory, it's a leader, but should you be the leader? And and what really concerned me was that God's word, as we've just seen here and also in, in Timothy, God's word has qualifications and instructions for church leadership so why in the world are we in this era where we are suddenly inventing all these new ways uh, to organize God's church outside of the design of God and his scripture and so I'll I'll tell you right from the start we at Manhattan Pres have elders because we see in God's Word that God has intended the church to be fed to be led and to be nurtured by elders and so before we even get into the qualifications, I want you to learn that there's, there's three terms for elder that we see in scripture, and I want you to know these so that when you're reading in the word, you understand what's happening here. Uh, three terms for the office that are used interchangeably for the most part. They uh, emphasize different aspects of the role. Uh, the first is from a Greek word called episkopos. Anyone recognize that? Uh, this is where the Episcopalian church gets their, their name from. It literally means to look at something intently. Um, you know the, the ESV translates it as an overseer that's one of those terms I don't know if you think about it an overseer uh, someone who is responsible for keeping a protective eye on, on, on someone and in this case the congregation the people of God um, and, uh, the word is, is here in our text actually verse 7 you'll see that word overseer another word for the office of, of elder is poimen that's a Greek word which means shepherd or pastor in the same way, someone watches over a flock of sheep or some other animal, um, feeding them, protecting them from wolves, things of that nature. And and then there is this word that is translated "elder" in our passage. It comes from the Greek word "presbuteros" or something close to that, uh, which is where we get the word "presbyterian" from. Right? In case you've ever wondered why we have this bizarre, hard-to-say word for our denomination, or our church name, it, it means an elder or a, a mature man. Our, our denomination takes that name because we are led by presbyters, we are led by, by elders. And so thinking about the text, the, the idea here is that there was one local church per town at this point and every local church would need elders for leadership and Titus needed to know what to look for so that he knew who he should appoint to the position of elder in each of these churches. And, and, and that brings up an important point. Do you notice in, in verse 5 here, is it talking about elder, singular, or talking about elder, plural? Do you see that there? What is it? Singular or plural? You can say it out loud. It's a rare, rare interactive time right here. <coughs> plural. It is. It's plural. It's, it is plural. And we see that all over the New, New Testament. When it talks about elders, it is Plural. Uh, Acts fourteen twenty three and when they had appointed elders for them in every church Acts twenty seventeen Paul called the elders plural of the church to come to him James wrote that when you are sick call for the elders plural and have them come and pray with you it's plurality more than one and the beauty of this this plurality is is that it's parity right um, um, it, it the responsibility to shepherd and to make decisions isn't on just one guy, which I very much appreciate. It's on a group who are all equal. When the session gets together, the session's just a group of elders at any local church. When a session gets together, I have one vote just like everybody else. Doesn't count as more, it's just one vote. And one of the beautiful things about having a plurality of elders then is that there is this uh, continuity or, or, or uh, uh, consistency right that uh, let's say tomorrow I go out and I'm playing Pokemon and I wander into the street uh, and some guy is playing Pokemon while driving his car and he runs me over and I get killed tomorrow right I hope you'll be sad I really do but I also know that the church will continue on with the same vision the theology is not going to change as a result of that because the leadership is a a group of men committed to the same thing And, and so the church would continue on that's not true everywhere uh, a lot of places the pastor gets run over, and it could be a completely different church in two months. Um, and there's something in- incredibly freeing about this idea of just shared ministry, shared care, shared responsibility. Um, and so what we do as, as elders is, is to oversee the, the spiritual nurture and, of the local congregation. Uh, There is actively shepherding the word of God. That's the feeding. There is praying for the congregation. There is administering the sacraments, checking in and seeing how people are doing. How can we pray for you? Uh, Which is why, you know, we can be better elders when when you're uh, a member of the church. You know, we mention that sometimes. It doesn't really change a whole lot in, in any practical way for us. There's no real benefit except for this one thing. We can shepherd you better because we know that you desire that shepherding. And so uh, it's not so weird for me to really start asking questions about, you know, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? Things like that. Uh, You know, and so there is that. I I, I care. We care. We want to ask questions. Don't think Gestapo or or NSA. Um, Think loving parent who who cares about your spiritual nurture. First. Peter 5, 1 1 through 3, gives us a a good picture uh, of how this care is to be given there. It's an encouragement to elders that's being written, and it says this. It says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, not eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And so you get a picture of what this should look like. And so then the rest of our, our passage today is, is about what qualifies someone to serve in the role, the office of elder. And it's not necessarily a complete list. First uh, Timothy um, adds a few things to this list, but it, it gives us this, this picture of the character that we're looking for, that someone ought to possess if they're going to serve in this role. And so let me just start by, by pointing out then that in First Timothy, it's clear that someone should desire to be an elder. That's something they they want to do. That doesn't mean that they're they're campaigning. Uh, I hope you don't see Tim hanging up signs saying, vote for me, make this church great again. Just kidding. Uh, Something like that. You know, he's not campaigning campaigning for it, but, but for the position, but someone who's not reluctant to be one, that they desire to actually serve in this role. And part of that's understanding that being an elder is not a reward. It's not because you've been someplace so long or you've shown yourself to be incredibly holy. Uh, something of that, and I, you know, it's not a prize, it's a responsibility. And there's no age requirement that qualifies someone. It is called an elder and certainly age helps develop these qualities that we're gonna see in this list. Uh, what's very clear is it's not necessary that an elder be of great worldly position of any sort uh, or wealth or high education, uh, but it is necessary that they be, be godly men. And that's the idea behind the statement in verse 6 where it says above reproach. Uh, above reproach literally, literally means unblameable, that we can't blame you, right? It doesn't mean that you can't be accused of something, um, but that there'd be no evidence against it because there is none. It says an elder is to be the, the husband of one wife. Look at that very carefully because it doesn't say that the elder is required to be married. It, uh, Paul wasn't married. The point is that an elder, if married, he must be a faithful husband to his wife, and the Greek here literally says he is to be a one-woman man. That sounds like a slang term, but that's the the literal Greek Greek there, one-woman man. And then the text goes on to speak about his his children. It says uh, that his children are are believers. That term believers there is, is translated from a word that means faithful, which usually means someone who has faith in Jesus, a believer. Um, but given the inability to guarantee your, your child believes the gospel, and given the context here, it's more likely uh, means something along the lines of children are, are not in defiance of, of their father, right? Um, because it explains this, this faithfulness of the children, it gives us a picture of what it looks like saying that they are not living in debauchery, and it's saying that they are not in insubordination. Um, debauchery, we don't use that, maybe we do use that word. Um, Debauchery is defined as excessive indulgence and sensual pleasures. Uh, so it's looking at the character of these children. And insubordination, which is a great Scrabble word, if you can pull it off, means refusing to obey. This is, this is really, when you look at this, the expectation of the children of any believer anywhere, anytime, um, at all. But, but the point is here that The home is where we can readily observe how a man shepherds those he's been given responsibility here for. You know, work is necessary. That's part of providing for a family. Um, But if all the effort is towards career or pursuing wealth or foolish hobbies, there's no way that that someone would be qualified to shepherd God's people if all that's happening. Also note, this doesn't say that their children are perfect. My children need you to hear this. it doesn't say they're perfect. It doesn't say their children don't have difficulties at times. It doesn't say they don't need correction or get in trouble at times. It's, it's this wide-angle observation of the fruit of the shepherding that has been provided. Um, so, is there a observable evidence of loving correction, of teaching their children the scripture, and, and just general nurture that where you see their children are flourishing? And then, starting in verse 7, there's this quick-fire list of... of qualities that we should expect from uh, a man who serves as an elder. The first five are in the negative perspective, and then after that we'll see the the six in verse eight are from the positive perspective. First, he must not be arrogant. Arrogant men are too concerned with themselves to care about God's people. They will not work well in a group. Uh, They lack compassion for hurting people. They often desire the title more than they desire providing care, genuine care of people. Um, we then see that they ought not be quick-tempered, uh, quick to anger, but are patient so that they can exercise wisdom. We see that they, uh, the qualified man cannot be a drunkard. That doesn't forbid alcohol, but rather the, the excess of alcohol because uh, you see that's a lack of self-control that leads a man to become a drunkard. He cannot be violent. Uh, violent men intend to harm rather than care and he must not be greedy for gain, and that one's interesting. In Luke uh, sixteen thirteen, Jesus is, is giving this warning, and you might remember, it'll sound familiar to you. Jesus is giving this warning, and he says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he gives this example, you cannot serve God and money. If a man is greedily following after wealth, then he should not be leading the people of God. There's a similar warning in 1 Timothy 6.10 that says, uh, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs." And so we see that can't be a quality in the man who's going to be leading a church. Uh, and so then, let's see the positive characteristics here in verse 8. Uh, he must be hospitable. This includes his family being hospitable. If he is married, willing to open their home to help others, whether they are believers or unbelievers, no matter what their ethnicity, no matter their lifestyle, no matter their social status, um, just a, a someone who is willing to care for the stranger. Hospitality, that is, uh, you know, caring for the stranger. He has to be a, a lover of good. Um, a lover of good. That's similar to the encouragement we see in Philippians 4.8 when Paul writes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And then we see that he is to be self-controlled, which is a major theme of this entire letter. Again, for all Christians, not just people that are going to be elders, but an elder ought to to actually have this. Um, Um... You know, and then we see the last three qualities listed here are that he is to be upright, holy, and disciplined. There should be consistency in his life. Is he regularly present at worship in God's word? Is he seeking to obey God's word purely from pure motives? And then our our last verse today, verse 9, speaks about the faith and the theological convictions of the man that is qualified for this office. You see that phrase, hold firm, right? We don't use that real often. It literally means cling to. Cling to. Like, like someone who is in a flood and you, and you grab onto the tree that is solid in the ground and you cling to that tree so that you won't be washed away uh, as the storm comes. And, and, and what's expected here is that, that this man clings to the trustworthy word as taught. That's what it says there. The trustworthy word as taught. That's about the gospel as we have it in God's word. Does he believe it? Does he believe that this is the inerrant word of God that is trustable, that it is uh, believable? And the reason given here is so that he can teach others. And In fact, this passage is, uh, and a similar passage in 1 Timothy, what we see here is that the only unique qualifications, I, I want you to notice this, the only unique qualifications for an elder is the ability to teach God's word and to rebuke those who contradict God's word. Uh, teaching you understand what I mean by that? I, I mean that the rest of these qualifications that we've just learned should be really true of any mature believer anywhere. Uh, no one, no Christian ought to be arrogant. No, no Christian ought to be quick to fly off the handle. Or, you know, all Christians ought to be hospitable and self controlled and, and so on. You know, we really can't think to ourselves, you know, I, I don't ever want to be an elder, so I guess it's cool that I would be a drunkard. That's not good logic. That's not what we're seeing here. Uh, these things are, are, are universal for the most part. And so that's why we see this teaching part is so significant. This, and understand, this doesn't mean that, that they need to be the best teacher that you've ever known or, or that they need to know more than everyone else in the room, um, which is comforting to me, especially in a university kind of like this. But, but it does mean that, that they need to be able to, to clearly and with faithfulness to the scriptures be able to teach God's word. Uh, we see this in in second timothy 2 1 and 2 the first two verses paul's writing to timothy and he says what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach it to others that's how it gets passed along um, you're going to see travis and, and god willing other elders teaching and, and even preaching here uh, they won't preach as often not because uh, they're not capable to do so but because they have careers and a lot of other things they have to worry about. They don't have as much time as I have for preparation, um, and their lives have not been set apart in exactly the same way for this task. Um, But I love that our our, our elders have been able to preach, and they are able to teach uh, in parish groups and other settings. And then the other unique thing that we see here is uh, the gift of elders is that they are prepared to rebuke those who contradict biblical truth. Uh, And that's because correcting helps protect God's people, uh, the people that the elder has been called to protect. And so teaching and rebuking, teaching and rebuking. John Calvin famously said, the pastor, and remember that's an interchangeable word, the pastor ought to have two voices, one for gathering the sheep and another for warding off and driving away wolves and thieves. The scripture supplies them with the means of doing both for he is deeply if he is he who is deeply skilled in it will be be able both to govern those who are teachable and to refute the enemies of the truth. So then throughout all this you've likely noticed that I've been using uh, masculine terms for elders, right? Um, which is likely raises this question for you we are are uh, only men to, to serve as elders in the church and and the answer is, is yes. Only men are to serve in the specific role of elder in the church, and as much as I want to say that completely apologetically in in the culture that we live today, uh, as much as I want to give all sorts of of, of qualifiers to that, I, I won't, because it's with biblical conviction and not cultural sensitivity that we've come to that conclusion. That's not to say that there aren't roles of servant leadership and gospel witness of all sorts and of, of meaningful and, and strong ministry for women in the church and community. But, but this particular role, the office in the church uh, of elder, the office in the church of elder is specifically for some men, qualified men. And that doesn't mean that we do not value women or believe women to be spiritually immature or not godly enough or anything of that nature. It means that we have an unwavering commitment to the scriptures. That's what it means. And in, in 1 Timothy 2.12, uh, it says, uh, he writes, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority o- over a man. And the two unique aspects that we just saw in this text, you know, particularly in verse 9 of our text today, is that an elder must be able to teach and to be able to rebuke, which is to exercise authority. You see, the office of, of elder is, is reserved for, for qualified men. Now, let me explain how all this works out, how elders work out in the church here locally. We, we're a church plant, and, and as such, we have borrowed seven men who are currently elders in other churches in both Wichita and Kansas City who serve as elders for us, and this is a temporary setup, and we're finally coming to this point where we can move to, to having local elders. And to do so, we, we need to have, have three elders. Remember, plurality. Uh, in our denomination, there's a distinction between uh, two types of elders. There's the teaching elder, uh, who has been to seminary and been through a very rigorous examination. And they do most of the teaching and preaching. That's why they're called a teaching elder. In our, our church, I'm a teaching elder. Uh, John Dunning is a teaching elder, but in the presbytery, not the specific church. Uh, and the other type of, of elder is an RE, or a ruling elder. This sounds like lecture, I realize that. Um, They also teach but usually have other employment and uh, so their time is is a little more limited. Travis is an RE and God willing, um, Tim Durrett will be elected to serve uh, by you, the congregation to serve as a ruling elder as well. So uh, Lord willing, God will provide others in the future for this local congregation to to serve in that role. So um, we believe Tim fits the characteristics of this passage. It's the kind of thing that embarrasses him. Uh, He's an incredibly humble guy, uh, which is all the more impressive when you realize just how brilliant he and his wife Christine are. Uh, He and his family have shown hospitality since the first day we've ever met them, having people over for meals and hosting small groups and letting us destroy their house on a regular basis and still inviting us back. Uh, Travis and I have been through uh, training with him, uh, on shepherding with Tim, Uh, He's taken a crazy written exam, which we mentioned, uh, what was it, 19 pages? There were 90 questions, like essay type questions, most of them, uh, to be examined, and again, verbally. Uh, And our elders, after examining him unanimously, (coughs) recommended Tim for the office of elder. And uh, as as Travis mentioned, on October 16th, we'll have a congregational meeting where we'll vote on, on Tim, as well as Travis and me, so this is your chance to get rid of us if you want to. Uh, And so that's kind of where where we're at locally. So let me just bring this to a close. I mentioned at the start that when you're looking for a church, wherever it is, um, wherever God leads you to find out about the leadership structure, Uh, make sure that the church, it doesn't have to be exactly like ours, but they include uh, biblical elders in the way that we see this. And uh, again, also pray for your elders. Uh, Shepherding can be emotionally taxing. Uh, you don't see a lot of that, and I'm telling you now so you understand how to pray for us. You know, you, one of the things we end up doing is we end up hurting with people. You often have a, a front row seat when, when people do foolish things and walk away from families and uh, their faith. You know, uh, you sometimes have to say things to people that are for their good but might make them angry at you. It's, it's very weighty at times, and, and so pre- please pray for us. Uh, along those lines, though, let me encourage you with the words of Hebrews 13:17, uh, which overwhelmingly has been true of this community, covenant community, and I love seeing this because it reminds me of, of what a joy it is. It says, uh, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do so with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Thank you for, for being a joy to, to shepherd you. Um, finally as you as you look to, to leaders and as you consider how you might be a leader in any any sort I, I want you to think about what we've seen in this text and in, in regards to leaders right did you notice that that leaders were not identified or, or qualified by by their physical strength it wasn't by, by big personality it wasn't by amazing speaking skills things of that nature so how did God identify good leaders here well, one way we see it is that they, that they have sound doctrine. Do they believe what's, what's actually revealed in God's Word to be true? And, and the second thing we see here is, do they live the Christian life? Do they, do they know about God, or, or does what they know about God and His Word actually shape the way they live their lives? Um, so those, those two things, and, and think about this. If you've ever followed anyone in the car, and you think they're going where you want to go only to eventually realize they were going somewhere completely different and you were no closer to where you wanted to be Um, that's that's kind of the experience of following someone who's not going where you want to go and so um, let me encourage you to make sure anyone that is going to lead you that that they're going the right place and and you as a leader here here's where it comes around you know you as a, a leader in any aspect it needs to be that you are going the right direction our, you know, and that means our, our resting and, and Jesus revealed in the gospel it means our, our being in God's word our loving others in response to the love of God for us, those sort of things those, those are so much more important than the ability to speak well or to network well or anything else and so here let me leave you with this last, last statement if, if you wish to lead well in any capacity, know how to follow our glorious Savior Jesus Christ well If you want to lead well, make sure you know how to follow Christ well. Let's pray. Lord, make us wise and willing to place ourselves under authority. Make us a church who desires to submit ourselves under your word. And we ask for wisdom always as we continue to establish this congregation in Manhattan. Lord, raise up for this congregation people who are humble and caring and who will lead well because they follow Christ well. Thank you for Jesus, the good shepherd of our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.